Okay, hello. Um, welcome to Film Roundtable. Uh, my name is Erin Weil and I'm coming from New York and a co-founder of Film Roundtable. And today we have uh, two lovely guests we've been working on trying to get on for a while. They both have been on in the past, but they're back again. Um, and they're good friends. And we have Rachel Morrison, who's director and uh, cinematographer. And we have Rena Yang, director of photography. And um, yeah, they just finished doing a film together called Flint Strong, uh, which looks amazing. I love Brian uh, Tyree Harris so much. He's so incredible. So that's uh, looking forward to that. And um, yeah, and it was also a film that Rachel was prepping before COVID and then they had to stop. So this is like 2.0 version with different um, uh, creatives that she was collaborating with in the second round. So it'll be fun to talk to them and see how, you know, what's up in their lives. So thank cool. you. Brian Henry, Henry, you just put it out there. Oh, Henry, right, 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 yes. And he's the best. He's amazing. Yeah, he's great. Okay, well, no. Rina, nice to see you. Nice haircut. Oh, thank you. Good to see you. I just feel like it's been ages. I just forgot that I had long hair on the <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Appearance chat aside. Um, yeah, well, hang on. We finished Flint in August. Yeah, that's right. End of July, beginning of August. End of July. <laughs> what, six months? It's like yeah. six months. Yeah. Oh my gosh, time fucking flies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you were in Toronto prepping fast, like round one. Was it 2018 or 2019? It was 2020 by the time we were actually prepping. 2019 yeah. when I first very early started. And then winter yeah. 2020 was when we were on the ground in Toronto. And then we shot the two days in Flint. And then the world mm -hmm. shut down. Yeah. And it was a, a wild few years for everyone. Yeah. So you had two days of shooting, a principal two days of shooting. Wow. Yeah. yeah, we had shot the Flint unit. Originally, there were supposed to be two days in Flint, the bulk of the shoot in Toronto, and then two days in China on the ground in oh, part wow. to shoot a night market, which is ironic if you know how the coronavirus started. Um, so we mm -hmm. were we were tracking, you know, early days of Wuhan and and coronavirus uh just as it pertained to our China shoot like I don't think anybody really could comprehend what was about to hit the world um you know and I remember it was universal at the time and the exec sort of sitting me down and saying I think we're gonna have to pivot away from China and we started looking at other you know could we shoot it in India or South Korea or what else could work because I wanted it to feel very different than Flint and, you know, it's just just goes to show how little we all knew about what the world was going to look like. But yeah, I thought the morning show did actually a good job um, kind of setting that that stage of like what was happening and no one, everyone was oblivious to it. So it's interesting. Yeah. That's what was going on for you guys while you were shooting, too. Um, and that's that was round that was round one. And then just, you know, to, to jump through everything and to get to the arena of it all. We, uh, long story, sort of short, uh, ended up getting dropped by Universal, um, you know, mostly because it was a risky drama with a not small price tag and people were kind of panicked after, uh, after um, you know, the world shutting down. And, and so then we managed to get picked back up at MGM, which is kind of a miracle to get anything out of turnaround. And then one of our actors who was amazing, had a pretty strong stance about the vaccine um, and therefore we had to recast. Mm. Uh, and then we ended up with Brian Tyree, who's amazing. And ironically was actually one of my first choices back in 2019. So it sort of all worked out in that, in that respect. But we pushed so many times that, um, you know, in small increments, right? Like we, we got back up, but then we had to recast and blah, blah, blah. And so I lost some of my my original collaborators, which included my production designer, Akeem McKenzie, and then my DP at the time, Kate Arismendi, who'd both gone on to other things. Um, and, you know, I think Kate and Rena were friends. They both, uh, you know, respect each other and each other's work. And so I think it was Kate who first said, if I can't do it, you should hire Rena. Um, and then, you know, obviously sat down with Rena. You know, she, I got to read the script and Rena, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, and then, like, well, I guess 
Yeah, I mean, like, it, it, it was helpful because I already knew you, you know, kind of yeah. hang out casually in LA. And uh, obviously I knew that you and Kate were shooting and I was shooting something else. And and uh, I was like, oh, you know, the boxing biopic, you know, sounds exciting. And Rachel and Kate, and I was like, oh, they're going to kill it. <laughs> and then fucking COVID happened. And I was just so heartbroken hearing the story about, you know, how it got shut down and everything. And uh, and then it came back and, you know, and then I think, you know, maybe Kate mentioned me. And then also we shared the same agent, Devin, iconic. And then I think Devin also mentioned to Rachel in the house, Rina then yeah that was that was it <laughs> I, I knew Rena's person I knew Rena as a friend and I knew her work so it wasn't it wasn't like it was a stretch by any means um mm-hmm. and then obviously we had to talk about the film and make sure we were you know had a similar vision and which we did and mm-hmm. yeah and, and the rest is history we made a boxing movie together <laughs> which is wild and fun and and we had a really great team on the ground in Toronto yeah. and you know, it's one of those things that like everybody said at the time that, that things happen for a reason. And when you have just lost the movie that you put so much into and then, you know, lose an actor that's a key part of that movie, it's hard to, it's hard to really hear that or believe that. And sure enough, like, I can't imagine the movie any other way. You know, um, even things like we were trying to capture both uh, winter and spring. And so the original plan was to shoot from March to May. Um, but in reality, March was sort of the tail end of winter and May wasn't really spring summer yet. Um, in Toronto anyway. And so when we got to do it the second time we shot in the summer, we made a, a winter, winter movie <laughs> in Flint in Toronto in the summer, which turned it a little bit into a Marvel film, but yes. we got the best <laughs> of both worlds. Like we got to really make snow. We got to supplement snow with VFX our summer scenes are lush and green. Mm. Um, you know, Flint is a whole other story of, of how we got back to Flint, but and got Flint for the right season. Um, it was basically, you know, uh, you do anything you can and have to, to, to protect, protect that element. Um, but yeah, I mean, that worked out. And obviously now I can't imagine anybody but Rena shooting it. I can't imagine anybody but our production designer designing it. Like it's, it's now, it's, now it is what it is. And yeah, it's Brian, like, it's like when you uh, surrender into, you know, how things change, then it always works out the way it's supposed to, you know, and when yeah. you're not so attached to yeah. it. The first yeah. film I ever did was a boxing film. I was an electrician on Girl Fight in like 1998. Oh, cool. Did you ever see that film? Yeah. 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 It was really fun. It was all women on that job too. And it was my first film ever. I worked as a photojournalist for like seven years and thought I wanted to be a DP. And mm-hmm. I got hired as an electrician and no idea what I was walking into. Um, but it was all women on that job. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, it's so amazing to work with all these women. Is this what film is like? Which is why I got out of photojournalism. And then I realized that that was like a one-off, you know, in the nineties. <laughs> so, but it's really well, beautiful to see it's changing you know yeah I think you know since I wrapped Flint I I kind of keep feeling like because you know Rachel you were the leader and then it was so easy for us to hire a woman but I just every project I'm doing <laughs> since I wrapped Flint it's like I have to advocate like I try to hire you know like pay attention to diversity but it's just some something I don't know happened between 2022 and now like it's now become like a not like a cool thing to mention <laughs> there's like a little nervous energy if I mention diversity or something but you know but I miss that like we I don't even have to try or like you know try to awkwardly bring up like by the way I feel like it's just all men right now <laughs> you know or like I try to hire a woman and there's like you know, yeah. So I, I was just thinking like, oh, I'm just lucky with Rachel on this. <laughs> like, well, and the amazing um, thing is, even the first round, like we had our our entire all of our HODs, and this was pre Times Up. We had uh, it was it was just a very inclusive um, film from the beginning. I don't think Universal at the time had ever seen anything like it, and now it's getting you know a little little more uh, commonplace, which is great. It's amazing. But, but um, there was just something about this film that really came together in that way. And it, it was, it was a pleasure, you know, like um, it was nice to see the world reflected a little bit in the, the filmmaking experience. Mm. Yeah, and uh, we had an awesome first lady, Sarah, which, who we adore. Yeah. 
Sarah Buell, ladies and gentlemen, best, <laughs> best first city ever. She's so great. Was she yeah. U.S. based or? Oh, she's Canada. local Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. When we set up the first time, it was her first feature, but she'd done a lot of television and I'd heard just amazing things about her from everyone. And she's just, she's, you know, ADs, a good AD is really hard to come by. Like my experience mm-hmm. with good ADs are that they're either very competent, but kind of a dick. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say competent and lazy in the same sense. I would say they're either really competent, but they're kind of aggressive mm-hmm. or they're very kind and you like having dinner with them, but they're not always the most on it. So to find somebody who's like organized and efficient and runs a really tight crew, but also you love them and you would want to have a meal with them and break bread with them and show them to, your, you know, meet, introduce them to your family. Like she's like the soccer, the best version of a soccer mom, you know, rallies <laughs> the troops in a positive way, but really like organized and keeps everybody one, like one step ahead of the game, which, you know, we were making a pretty ambitious movie for, uh, I mean, it, it's, it was like, a big budget sports movie until it's not, but but that big budget sports movie version still has spectacle and fight. We had six fights, I think. Um, and it's not like we had a, a a big budget schedule, you know? So it was like Sarah really, I think without an AD as strong as she was, like we would never have made our days. Yeah, it was really great to feel like, you know, we were strong, like, you know, DP director for our city team that we can really kind of, you know, collaborate and try and make things happen you know we like recreating like London Olympics and <laughs> there's so many fights and you know, so yeah yeah when is the film coming out do you guys have a oh, date good yet? question no I do not know I think in, in all of the reshuffling with MGM and Amazon they're just trying to kind of get their selves figured out Mm-hmm. And then Creed is obviously the biggest movie they've put out in a long time. So they wanted to get to the other side of Creed before they make a plan for us, which I, I can only imagine Creed doing as well as it did in the box office mm-hmm. is going to you know, help our cause. They For, for a while, we, we knew from the beginning when we got picked back up at MGM that we had to sort of stay away from Creed. You know, they're not they're not actually that similar, but they are both boxing movies and, yeah. and whatnot. Although for all the times I've been like, you guys, we're not that similar. Now that it went off and did so well, I'm like, we're really similar. You should give us <laughs> all the marketing money you gave them and whatever. But um, yeah, but yeah. So so I think we'll find out soon. I mean, the movie thankfully, like gratefully, turned out really well. Rena's seen it too. Like I think we're both really proud of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. Rachel does a great job. You know, Rena did a great job wait for the world to see it and you know it's very moving and important story to tell just you know you don't get many scripts like that in that like you know <laughs> in our lifetime so it's, you know, it's, and, it's, and Rena this was your first feature also right you have done TV um, or have you done another feature before I have I've done Vijay Nani with Nikita Jusu which is now actually funny enough it's it's Amazon bought it mm-hmm. so it's with them and I guess it's the MGM and uh, then I yeah, I've done TV shows and you know TV films and yeah before well, I spend my time uh, like Rachel in between narrative stuff doing commercials until mm-hmm. the one <laughs> comes in and I think we're lucky to be in that position where we can kind of wait out and do commercials and you know yeah, I think we should tell people, like, because I, I do think you and I have that in common, which is we, we're really pretty picky. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I call it the power of no, but I, I think that that's almost the most important power you can wield as you make choices as an artist, whether it's as a DP mm-hmm. or director, is like you get very tempted by the carrot. You know, when somebody dangles a carrot and like, let's say it's a, you know, an $80 million movie and you've never done anything about 10 million. Like it's tempting to be like, oh, I'm going to do it. It's an $80 million movie. But if you read the script and it doesn't speak to you, it's like all you're doing is carving out space, you know, to be um, pigeonholed in some area you never wanted to be in, in the first place. Or like, it, it's not, I don't know. I have, I have um, obviously there, I've kissed tons of frogs, especially early in my career. But I try to be really mindful now about not just jumping at the first opportunity, but making sure that it's it's really um, right for me. You know, I mean, that's the hardest thing. Like, I feel like I'm getting scripts now that if they get to me, they're actually all pretty good. But that doesn't mean that they're right 
or that that like it's, they're additive in the world or like I don't know. But Rena, how how do you choose your projects? I think I guess that the way I choose projects has shifted as I got older. But then you know the things that haven't changed is like you said, you know, is it right for me? Also the timing, you know, work life balance wise mm -hmm. and you know have I done this kind of movie before because I try not to repeat myself and mm -hmm. you know and then obviously like do I like the script and characters and who's the director uh, in the production designer who's producing this um and all that but I think timing is a huge thing that you know if, say like if we've just finished like a marathon of shoots then like do you want to jump onto another film for four months and it might not be the right timing even if you like love it because you you know you have to be ready physically and mentally and you know even if sometimes you really love the project you know you can't give the best to the project and you have to say no because you're not gonna you know you I feel bad for whoever might hire me that I'm just like a wreck walking into pre-production you know so I think like timing is huge um you know just like how round two happened I guess it's you know it's timing also that I think I can't remember what I just finished but yeah I did I did Nani and the Euphoria and, and then I think I was maybe like I was gonna take a break but then then you know Rachel's film came in I was like hell yes like you know <laughs> This is the next one, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and then Devin was like, I think we've got to take a break. I was like, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> so, you know, but it's the timing, you know, when the right one comes in, you know, it's, it's, it clicks. And I think you just, you have that gut feeling and you do the, you know, kind of do a once over and like, yeah, I'm sure this is the one. And, you know, you try and get it. <laughs> yeah. It's the full body, yes, right? Mm hmm. The full body, yes. Yeah, full body, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, and then for me, I, I think I first of all, I really commend that you and Kate and some of the younger DPs like carve out that that um, space for yourselves, like the work life balance. I feel like that for me, I, I don't know that I did a great job of that until I had a family, and then mm -hmm. it was like almost out of necessity, right? Like you have to give as much of yourself to your kids as you do. Like I try to be you know, incredibly present with them when I'm with them. And I'm, I'm very present with work when I'm with work. I, it's maybe, you know, my, my superhero, I don't know if it's a superhero strength or I'm a sociopath, but like I can dissociate, like I can, I can, when I'm at work, it can be my focus. And I'm with, when I'm with the kids, that can be my focus, but you really, there's only so many hours in the day. There's only so many days in the year. And so I do think it's like, it's so important to, to find that balance for yourself, for your family. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's admirable. Um, you know, I was, I was speaking to Kate about something and she's like, oh, I can't do anything because it's my best friend's wedding. You know, and I just, I think that's important. It's so important. Mm -hmm. You know, that you don't, I mean, the, the most basic way of saying it is like films don't love you back. No matter how good the experience is, no matter how good the film is, like that's not on your deathbed. It's, it's not the like film that you're going to be talking about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think that kind of desire to win the project, I mean, uh, you know, I guess the, in a work-life balance, I think sh it, for me, it shift, you know, shifts, you know, maybe when I was in my 20s and I was just the jobs back to back and I was like, well, I, uh, you know, away all the time. But then I think as I get older and I like, you know, prioritize time with friends and family and, you know, I think things do change. <laughs> yeah. But it also makes you better at what you do. I mean, I guess maybe that's another way of saying like, for me to be able to give everything to my work, I need to then like refill the well somewhere else, you know, whether yeah. that's going to an art museum or going for a hike or like I've started surfing and boxing and, but it's like, if I don't have, you need to have something to give, you know, in order to give your all, you need to, 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 to get back to your all again. Mm. Uh, so. mm -hmm. Yeah, self-care is the key. You have to take care of yourself to be able to give, give to anyone else, especially your family, you know. Did your kids come with you um, to Toronto? They actually didn't this time. Some of that is just how complicated it's gotten to travel. You know, this was still the tail end of the pandemic. So, I mean, I don't know, I guess, is it over? Are we still in the pandemic? Who knows? But like, it was, um, it was still traveling like I uh, getting back into Toronto took I think three or four hours in customs and people were literally like 
falling off the elevator into the lines. And so it became sort of more prohibitive than it had been in the past. But also it was my first time, you know, directing a feature and it meant uh, it, it, I really needed to be entirely present for this movie. And so I think had they come come, they would have just, we would have resented, like they would have resented how little time I actually had to give them and they'd be displaced. And while they had just started school again and had a routine and it just, there was no part of it that made sense for us. It's also getting harder now that we have two. Like Wiley came on every project with me up until Cleo was born. He was basically like raised in a walk-in closet. I mean, literally between Mudbound and Black Panther, it was just, we were pivoting between walk-in closets, which for moms, future moms out there in this business, like you don't need a two bedroom. You just need a solid walk-in closet for the baby. They make very good baby rooms, natural blackout curtains. Um, but now it's tricky. Like he's got a routine. He's got school. He's got his friends. He's got soccer. He's got, you know, his activities. So I think if I got a job that was really um, somewhere amazing, like Europe in the summer, they would definitely come. Maybe even Europe, not in the summer, we'd take them out of school. But um, it just, uh, you know, especially because it was my first film, I just wanted to be fully present to it. Um, so they came to visit for three weeks, like we extended, I think, a school break. Um, but that was that was one of the longest times I've been away for sure. Yeah, I mean, you were de definitely fully present in a way that you don't sleep, <laughs> that everyone should know. <laughs> Why is it like you sleep like three, four hours a day or something? <laughs> and then I was like, I don't know how Rachel can function, but she can. And I was like, wow, because I, I, I'm a power napper. Like I, I nap on during lunch, like 10 to 15 minutes, so like fresh, <laughs> refreshes my mind. <laughs> and I tried to sleep like, you know, six, eight hours but then Rachel's always the between me Sarah fastidy and Rachel will be the first one <laughs> to, to be awake <laughs> it's like Rachel was up at 4am texting us like well like, like you're like she needs the girl needs sleep <laughs> yeah four and a half hours is my sweet spot four and a half hours yeah so that's a that's a skill that I would like to apply if I you know didn't have to sleep that'd be great <laughs> Wow. something yeah we i made i made rena a shirt that says team team power nap <laughs> Definitely <laughs> earned her earned her power nap nickname yes wow. that's what i do. Do, you, do you do power nap at lunch <laughs> yeah i i tend to power nap at lunch just like 10 15 minutes right <laughs> hiding hiding like somewhere dark in the corner of or the this, stage. like scout scout van between locations yeah. yeah i'm like a baby if i'm like in the car i just fall asleep <laughs> <laughs> After it's like it's like rocking. It's like I have to stay awake. <laughs> I used to work when I worked on movies. I worked with the cinematographer Tom Richmond a lot, like a, mm -hmm. a while ago. He's a dear, dear friend of mine. He just passed, but he um, would nap at lunch always, 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 always. He'd have a tuna fish sandwich, and then he would go sit someplace and do the power nap, and then come back. You know, <laughs> come back together. It would really yeah. work for him. I mean, because it's like directing and DPing. It's you are constantly on when you're on set. You have to talk all the time. And I, like, in my like, you know, offset, I don't talk very much. So it's like it's a lot of energy. I have to talk to people all the time. And you know, like the same for directing. And you know, like fifty people want your in ask you a question <laughs> then what do you think oh, should we do this and they have to pay attention and they see if, if things are happening properly and you have to you know <laughs> so it's like your brain's like a super hyper so it's like you need like a 10 minute 15 minute like you shut your eyes no one's talking at you <laughs> it's a it's it's a good way to you know recover <laughs> for the second half of the day yeah um, I think the thing that everybody keeps asking me, or I'm sure asking you, um, mm. saying to me is like, uh, it must be, it must be hard for you to shoot for another DP. Was it hard for you to shoot oh, for yeah. me? Yeah. No, because I get asked that question all the time, but who did I shoot for? Uh, so I shot with Bradford and then I shot with, did I shoot with someone else? Uh, but I mean, no, because I feel like uh, we understand what we do or what I do. So there's like, you know, a lot of the directors you know just the director directors can be very technical and they could be a dp but you know they're not dp but then you know well rachel is a cinematographer and you know it's it's actually if, as long as you're on the same page like aesthetically and tonally i feel like it's 
it's more efficient way to collaborate. And, you know, like for example, just something boring, like, you know, we should go for slow-mo and then, you know, I'll just set the camera to do 70 shutter and then just, you know, in case you guys ramp it back to in a normal frame rate and then I don't have to explain why and the Richard was like okay yeah that's fine I was like yes yes <laughs> it's like saving time on set is it you know it is a lifesaver you know if you're saving like you know minute a day and that's like a lot <laughs> or even yeah. like um Rena got stuck in Buffalo for the first few weeks for the which was a nightmare but like when I'm scouting I can scout with her needs in mind you know mm-hmm. uh, and I think like the pros anyway is like I really I I and, and if a setup's going to take a long time I usually understand why or like you know or if, or if it's if we're planning something and you know the sun comes out and screws us like we can pivot together fast like I think there's a sensitivity to the needs I also I make a point to try to let especially my cinematographers but everybody like I my creative collaborator collaborators have a a a long leash like I just I nobody does their best work when they're being micromanaged you know and I think um you know I try to choose people whose work I respect and then let them do this thing that they do well and you know obviously I'll weigh in about opinions but I also I know that sitting on somebody trying to get them to do it exactly how you would do it it's like that's not creative for anybody like that's just um then then you may as well do it yourself and there was no point on this I mean I really wanted to focus on performances especially on my first movie but there was not a single day that I wasn't grateful to have a DP and not be the one navigating the like grid of lights above the Olympic ring or whatever else one thing too is is you were asking about like working together you know I, I I do like to operate and Rena like given you tell me, but it seems like Rena likes to be oftentimes riding the lights, riding the exposure. So like, there's also a really nice handoff there where it's like, uh, I mean, I obviously don't operate dolly hand, uh, steady camera or anything like that, but like there were occasionally these like really emotional moments. And I'd be like, Rena, is it cool if I grab the camera? And she's like, yeah, yeah, do it, do it. Um, and it was like, that was a really nice thing too. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I like Rachel's operating. So, you know, cause we don't have to explain to the operator. I mean, I mean as our jobs, like directors and DPs, we have to explain to the operators, but sometimes it's really, you know, like something like handheld is really instinctive. And, you know, I'm just happy for Rachel to jump in there. Like, because on this film, we had a great lighting team and I had a great lighting board up called Desiree, and then she gave me the wingman board. So I would mix light live. So, you know, so if I have Rachel operating and I can concentrate on mixing uh, live, and so that was great. That I can definitely trust <laughs> someone. The camera, I have to like a whisper in the headset, like "Oh, the pan left" or something. You know, so, so that that was great because, um, yeah, I mean, like I actually didn't. I think it's maybe the first time I'd I did live mixing for film because I, I I do that a lot on commercials, but you have to have like a really good lighting board up <laughs> so, and which you know we had and uh, so yeah I was kind of VJing <laughs> boy Rachel's Rachel's killing it <laughs> like yeah it you know funny. like it's really funny because like I think like oh if she like a shift left or point like a kind of lunge in or something she would do it so it's like it's a bit creepy like, you know, like <laughs> but I was just thinking that <laughs> it's like smash <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was it's fun. nice that's for cool. me to go back and be like you think we got it and like Rena I like I always she you know I mean that's just, when I was a DP I remember that from the directors too it's like it's the first person you go to to be like did you feel it? Like, did we get, did we get it? Really? Did you feel it? And it's like, I would go yeah. to Rena right away and be like, did we get it? You know, mm-hmm. it's nice to have another set of, like, it really feels like team playing. Mm. Cause I think, you know, I mean, directors, they, they have a lot to think about and, you know, you are very focused on performances and sometimes, you know, you'd be like, do we get it? And I'll be honest, like maybe we should maybe do it one more time and maybe do it like this and because you concentrate on the performance and you know so that was just really nice to be able to just just talk freely about like you know you know we can do better than this kind of you know so there was no pressure like you know someone hovering over me all the time (laughs) like this is how we should like the scene (laughs) and I think you know great directors are good at like delegating and trusting their crew and you know and selecting the, the right crew in the, you know, in the first place. So, yeah. yeah. Do, um, 
I, what I tell directors, you know, I was a producer for 20 years. So what I tell mm -hmm. directors, especially ones that um, like to poo poo doing commercials because they, they might think they're above it or whatnot, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, there's a lot of downtime in between films, right? Most people can't go from one film to the next or one TV mm -hmm. show to the next because you probably run yourself into the ground and commercials are such a great place to be able to experiment to be able to get practice to try things you would never maybe try on a uh to commit to on a on a film or something long form um do you two find that like do you like the those aspects of just trying to work with different people i mean rachel now for you directing you know i, I don't know what kind of commercials you're doing but like directing talent in different ways and trying different locations, you know, what do you, what do you yeah. both think about that? I mean, I, I think Rena said it earlier, but I, I can't agree more that like it, it gives you the ability to wait for the right long form project, you know, like, I, I mean, there's other amazing things about commercials too. And like you said, trying out gear, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll test lenses on commercials. I'm sure you do too. Yep. Test crew, test, you know, yeah. Like to your point, test ideas. But really, it's also like that's what financially allows for the power of no, right? Like, mm -hmm. especially now that I've made this film, I'm reading these scripts, the, the ones to, well, to direct order sheet. But like when I read a script now, especially to direct, I'm like, could I watch this a hundred times? Like, I know what goes into, you know, I mean, I was literally pregnant with this film for four years. Like, and so it sets the bar, bar so high that like it may be a year before I, do something, you know, that long of a commitment. Hopefully I'll find something before then, but yeah, I mean, I, I can't just not work like, and, and commercials are really great for being able to buy yourself some time to make the right decision in the narrative world. And they're fun. I mean, I, I love it. Like I love, I love meeting new people. I love traveling. You get to eat well, you get to stay in nice hotels. It was like the first time I ever got to fly business class. Like it's so fancy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Even in this day and age. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I don't know why there's stigma, like, against, like, you know, you're a commercial DP or you're a commercial gaffer or, you know, maybe it was like that back in the days, but commercial schedule is as crazy as narrative. <laughs> Sometimes we have to do, like, 20 setups, like, you know, it's, it's not, like, luxuriously slow, you know, and... You know, we do tend to, we have to make each frame pop or it can be technically a lot more complicated in a way that it, we're not, say, like in a dialogue scene, like where maybe like it's like a mids and two shots and, you know, we have to have like a camera flying around from there to here and then like, you know, the wide zoom in and end on the eye or, you know, so I, it, you learn a lot of like tech tricks as well as you know like what Rachel said we shoot all over the world and we meet the crew and you know maybe we can even test out the crew and if, if we end up shooting a film in that city and you know a lot of crew who work in big commercials they also do films on tv so it's a good great way to meet people and I think especially for young cinematographers coming up um it, it, in my opinion rather than doing you know say like one or two indie movies a year and if you can't shoot, like say commercials, music videos, maybe like 10 or 20 a year, and I feel like you can flex your muscle and learn a lot faster. And then, you know, having said that, it's, it's a different, different muscle, you know, to learn, you know, you're thinking about one second shot, but then for film, you have to kind of develop and you have to think that, hey, this shot could last three minutes. <laughs> and, you know, well, and also the different bigger things. picture of the whole narrative and like yeah. how together and continuity and I mean it's it's a different skill set but they're closely connected like you mm. can not I, I never understood the like uh you know well we've never done a tv show you've only done features how do you do it yeah. it's like they're close enough like we're not you know you just you they're they're very closely related cousins or something yeah well, I think um. it's good to do you know both but the yeah, I, I kind of admire and I don't understand people who can just do not long form back to back and like <laughs> they literally have no life, you know, I'm like, wow, you know, I could just could not do that because long form just take so much time and energy. And oftentimes because like me and Rachel, like we only do the ones we really love and we we put everything into it. So we're just exhausted by the end of it. And I don't know how I could do another one straight away. But 
you know, so. I think yeah. also, I mean, look, if there were more things we really loved, maybe we would do more things back to back. I just, I, I yeah. think it's also, they go part and parcel, right? Like you just don't yeah. need that many scripts that, that, mm. that good. Yeah. The scripts are very hard to come by. And they, when there's a good one, there's like a great DPs, all the actors mm-hmm. lined up to, to get the gig. <laughs> so it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's very concentrated uh, traffic jam. Yeah, it's interesting. The- There's so much content right now, but the 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 good mm-hmm. content is very few and far between. You know, yeah, that's really shifted. I think with the uh, oversaturation of content, it's just a lot of like blah, you know, and like very few, you know, golden nuggets in there. Um, yeah. At least that's what I'm finding. I'm not I'm not that interested in watching much anymore. Um, I did just watch that Indian documentary on the kite birds, which was really, really beautiful. Have either of you seen it? When We Breathe, I think it's called, or part of it. Yeah. Really beautiful. The cinematography is really beautiful in it. I really enjoy watching documentary in my free time. Like I can kind of switch off my cinematographer brain, but really enjoy the narrative on other people's mm-hmm. like stories. Mm-hmm. But then you know, a lot of documentaries these days have great cinematography in it. And then you kind of, because they film and, I mean, the language of cinematography is slightly different in documentaries compared to the narrative that, that you know, you're so used to how maybe, maybe people would cover the scene for TV show, but then you watch the documentary and you get inspired by, you know, how they put together a scene. I was like, oh, wow, that's an interesting shot. Or like, you know, and, uh, I watched Fire of Love recently, actually. It's, have you seen it? Like the footage mm-hmm. is insane. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, it's shot on film and everything, but like, <laughs> like these people are lunatic, but I also understand that kind of passion and, you know, just you're crazy for something. You just love doing something, that you, whatever they loved volcanoes. <laughs> you know? But like, you know, we love making films. So it's like, I understand that, but and the footage, you know, the footage is amazing and it's kind of, that kind of things kind of is inspiring. Like, oh, how can we do it like that in narrative? <laughs> you know, yeah. Do you, Rachel, do you think you would ever write something? Like, do you have any story ideas that you would like to see made at some point? Like, I, it's the question of, of every meeting every I have ever. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I am in a very fortunate position where I have people sort of lining up to write me a blank check to make whatever I want to make. And I'm like, I don't know what I want to make. Um, and the answer to the writing is I actually do think I'm capable of writing. I don't know that I'm capable of starting from a blank page. I don't know that I have the, the, the sort of work ethic to not be daunted by like, you know, I mean, you really writers, I think every day, these hours, they stay focused. I think I'm too, I can't sit still long enough as, as Raina can attest. Like this is probably, I maxed out after like an hour and then I'm running around on a bus dolly or one wheel or like, I just, I don't well um but I am capable of writing so I think whether it was like rewriting or developing an idea with another writer where they're doing uh, at least the first pass and then we're working together for the second or something like maybe but but the bigger issue at the moment is I really don't know what story I want to tell next like Flint spoke to me because well for a number of reasons um but but um, there was something very relatable for me to put myself into it. And, and I believed in it and I believed in the messaging behind it. And like, one of the things that I think I've come away from or away from it with is like, even if it hadn't succeeded, it was admirable in its intent. Like what it was trying to say mattered to me. Um, and thankfully I, th- I think we did succeed. Like, thank God. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm trying to find what that next thing is that I feel like if I had to watch it a hundred times, I would still get something from it. Yeah. It probably just hasn't come to you yet. Maybe someday, you know, you'll be like, Oh, this is what I want to create. Yeah. I mean, another great thing about working on Flint with Rachel was that the, you know, we had those, you know, Rachel had the freedom to change the scripts on the day or, you know, like, <laughs> I had a lot of support from Barry let's just put it that way um, yeah so I think that was great that no one was you know because when you work on a tv show as a hired director you know e- even if things aren't working on set you know I guess you have to get permission to not shoot something 
um, but you know, if you could blog and you know, you are blessed to have a creative freedom to adjust the narrative, adjust the scene. I think it, it makes the film better because you know, it, it's something is on paper and then we're executing on set and things don't always work and we make it work. <laughs> you know, so it's, I just find it so hard that if the director, you know, cannot adjust uh, the script on the day, you know, to adjust to the, the blocking or the, you know, yeah. So I find like TV shows like that is <laughs> like something yeah. I don't touch because <laughs> it's hard, yeah. We had a really unique, um, and I hope I get this experience again, but it was it was kind of this amazing thing where, for better or for worse, I mean, it was scary and whatever. If it hadn't worked out, I'd be like, blame it on this. But because it did, I'm okay with it. But our execs um, went to WB on the, on the second day of our shoot. So we had no, we made a studio movie with no studio paying any real attention to that. So we were kind of like, you know, like home alone like macaulay Culkin, and like they're letting us do all this cool stuff and nobody really is weighing in and um and you know we had barry jenkins and i had been collaborating for years at this point on this and he really gave me his blessing to make it my own and um you know and then i in turn let the actors you know if the actors wanted to say something in a slightly different way or in a way that felt more right to them in the moment like i gave them that freedom and so it was a little bit of a we were, we were just, you know, you're just always trying to gauge authenticity and like, does it feel real? Does it feel right? Does it, and, and we, there was no, there was nobody saying it has to be delivered exactly how it is written and nobody saying it, it just wasn't micromanaged at any level. And even like the stunt choreography, I mean, I, Ryan was such, I mean, she's, I can't wait for people to see how incredible she is in this film, but like, she was such a trooper too. And we were, we were riffing a little bit with the choreography on the day too. And, and, and like, she'd sometimes want to watch playback and be like, I can do better. I can sell that fight. I can sell that punch better. Let me go again. And so, you know, and, or I would, if I was, or we would work with the, you know, the city cam operator and, and just kind of find it in a really organic way um, as we went, as opposed to being so rigid in like, this is our shot list and we must shoot our shot list exactly how it's written. And this is our script and we must, it was never dogmatic like that. And I think um, the result of letting yourself have a little bit more freedom to, to react and respond and create in the moment, um, it, it really worked, I guess. Did you have, um, so was anybody from the studio watching dailies or did they kind of let you just- so We, our producer, Alicia Holmes was also at this point at the studio. So okay. she was sort of double, doing double duty as a producer and studio exec. Um, mm -hmm. So somebody was, um, and but for the most part, I think she was also just supportive of us in the process. And like, nobody was trying to play it too safe. That That's makes. great. Did you have an editor who started, was on set with you all? He wasn't on set, but our, our editor, Harry Yoon, had, he was one of the, our costume, desi costume designer, our editor, and there were some holdovers from the round one. Like Harry's been in this since the beginning with me. Mm -hmm. um, he did the film Minari and he's just, he's a beautiful human and he was a beautiful collaborator. And he was definitely very um, involved from, from the beginning. So he wasn't on set, but he was watching dailies and he was reading scripts and he was giving me ideas and, you know, uh, uh, more than just, he wasn't just responding. He was getting it. Uh, he was preempting and yeah. it'd be great if we had this, or I think we should try an alt like the, you know, and he was an incredible collaborator. Um, he was piecing he together scenes and whatnot for you. Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, he was, he would send mm -hmm. me scenes on Friday to watch on the weekend. Um, it wasn't like we ever were in any one location long enough that it was that we could like, right we missed something we were just going to get it there we were still on the move a lot so it wasn't so much uh, like hey we need these three shots there were very few of those notes it was more just like I think this is working really well or I love what you guys did here and um but also just from day one in the edit like it was a really smooth post which one doesn't hear that often I feel like all I hear is horror stories about posts but like you know we had sort of we had a very hard prep like our prep nearly killed me and most of that was, I think, 
there was this idea that we could maybe hit the play button after being paused for two years and it would just, we could just pick up where we left off. And I think nobody had really understood the full ramifications of inflation and crew rates had gone up, materials had gone up, locations had gone up. There were locations that didn't want us back. I had new department heads. Like, it, and so we started at such a deficit financially that it really put um, a strain on prep. And prep, like I've had other films, including round one of this, where prep felt really easy and great and light. And then you get into the shoot and you're kind of in, in the, then you're like up to your neck and it's kind of a mess. And we had the opposite experience, which is probably in retrospect, the better way to go. But mm. prep was really painful and stressful. And it felt like, what are we walking into? And then the shoot, it was like the clouds opened up, sun came out, shoot went really well, post went really well. Like once we once we got past prep, we were smooth sailing. Is that fair to say, Rena? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we were joking, like, because we've done, you know, the long form before. It's like, why is the prep for Flint so hard? <laughs> we were literally like doing long hours, like, you know, all week. And, you know, sometimes the prep is kind of short and sweet. But yeah, it was... Yeah, it was definitely a hard one. Like, you know, like again, like six fights. And like, I think I was doing the lighting plans and, you know, this like did the breakdown. And I was like, I've never written like a drone so many lighting plans for one project ever. <laughs> and I was like, drawing it, still not so, oh, still going okay. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow. So it's like, it's, you know, when someone pitches the film to you, like as a log line, it's so simple, but then. <laughs> It was kind of like, like Rachel said, you know, the sun, making the winter into summer with all the blue screens everywhere and many sets and locations. And, you know, it, it was it turns, turned out to be a quite complicated, you know, film to prep. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And also must have been so discombobulating to, you know, because there's like pre-COVID and post-COVID and it was like a different world to be like prepping a film and then the world just changes like overnight. Yeah. And then you're mm -hmm. taking your experience from that and trying to bring it into two years later, you know, in a whole different world we're living in, you know, I mean, not only just like testing people on set now constantly, but like all the, uh, the prices, you know, like you said, inflation, you know, Canada, which was a whole other level of, you know, of protection and safety. And I mean, so many things like I can imagine that would have like really uh, kind of turned those who went from part A to part B, like kind of upside down, you know, because you you had to really kind of re-pattern what you were doing in a sense, you know. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was really hard, like really, really hard. And then have new people who were coming on after not being on the first part um, and yeah. adjusting to that and, you, and the new people adjusting to what had already been done. Well, I'll definitely be in, in therapy for life from the whole experience. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, it's like an episode of Black Mirror at times. And we switched, we like, some of our locations stayed the same. Like the, the, the location that we had dressed and ready to go when the world shut down, that was like built out, it was the Bur Burston gym location that was built out for six months, you know, before they finally had to pack everything up or maybe even a year. Um, we went back to that same location and that we, we were going to start, we were going to start with that in 2020. And we ended up, we kept it in the schedule and we started with it in 2022. So there was something, I think actually once I got to the other side of like finishing this thing that had been this cliffhanger for so long, then it was like, then it felt like, okay, this is, I could finally exhale. And it was like, okay, we're making this thing. And then it almost let it become its own new experience. But yeah, it was like a Black Mirror episode. It was very, very strange. I mean, I, I feel very incredibly fortunate because I know so many projects that shut down and never got back up again. Mm -hmm. like to get anything out of turnaround is a miracle, but especially you're talking about two years later to make effectively the, the, the movie that we set out to make. Um, what, what did you shoot on? Oh, oh, we, know, shot, like, yeah. we shot on the Venice. You guys were uh, mini LF before? Maybe? Oh, I, think, I think it was actually, it was Alex's first time round. But then I, th I guess back then, you know, Venice maybe didn't have Rialto. Um, Rachel, both Rachel and I, you know, by then, by 2022, um, we, you know, we'd shot on the LF and the Venice and, you know, gone to DI and compared both formats before. And, you know, the difference is like 
once you grade it, you just don't notice. Um, mm. We like the ability to go Rialto mode for, we actually used to Rialto a lot for some of the boxing fight, you know, fights. And uh, was it fights or like, do you remember crew kept telling us it's not fights, what was it? Well, Sarah kept calling it fights. No, no, so she, kept calling it, um, she kept calling it matches or games. It is fights. <laughs> fights. Yeah. It's just like being told that it's, it's fights. Okay. So, so yeah, so we love the reality. And, you know, I also like the internal NDs. Yeah, and, you know, it's just something frustrating about, I, I love Alexa. But it's just like, why do we jump from ND6 to 1.2 all night? Like, you know, I love the like one-stop increment. And, you know, and so it's like, if it, if it looks the same once we grade it, then I like to you know take advantage of this up and you know advance yeah, the abilities to go small and you know and these and so we went um we went for the venice but then we did adjust the contrast level on the lenses with panavision because uh, you know one's more one's local and one's like higher contrast i think, I think venice is higher contrast so we like, just went a little bit more um you know, bit, just to adjust to the Venice because I don't really like the crunchy uh, images. Um, there's a recipe somewhere in the email <laughs> with Guy Vicker at Panavision. We're just chatting about like different between Alexa Left and the Venice and you know, just in the recipes, there's all sorts of kind of numbers somewhere uh, that I will dig out for when the film comes out and people ask me these questions. <laughs> yeah, basically, we, we re-detuned re the lenses and, yeah, you know. yeah. All of that. Um, but we, and we we're Panavision. Um, we had tested, I, I wanted bokehs that were pretty round, um, you know, and so you have some of these lenses ranging from cooks to other ones that like are very specific with the, with the bokeh. Um, so that mm -hmm. was, we, we, we had a range of Panavision glass, but um, mm -hmm. mostly, uh, well, you, you can speak to where we ended up. I think it was kind of a, a arena special concoction of glass with recipes i mean guy was like you sure you want to go this far i was like i, I mean like, yeah it's it's fine and then, <laughs> i mean like, it's holding so um yeah so you know there, this i will dig out the recipe but yeah we did you know we kind of adjusted the recipe to to venice um mm -hmm. then yeah there's sure. sort of like primo primos and h series and whatever yep. Yeah, those are, those are ultra speeds. Like the, oh, yeah. the uh, are hero Pan, lenses. Sorry, not Prima, Panaspeeds. Panaspeeds, yeah. um, ultra speeds. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. I'm one of the owners of Black Wings. You know, I'm Brad's partner in the Tribe 7. So I know, I mean, and I know a lot about lenses, so I was just curious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 they're great lenses. I got a set as well, Black Wing. Oh, right, yeah. you do have a set. I knew that. <laughs> Yeah, they yes. sound so cool. Yeah, like have you shot with them? I've shot. Uh, I think I shot one commercial with them early on, and I think it was the really the heaviest version. And I, oh, I know those are, and I think that that it was. I had a little bit of a hard time controlling some of the bailing flares and stuff, so it it put me off. Um, but I know that there are lighter versions now that I'm sure I would love. Um, yeah, T T and S, because I'm retuning my lenses to be a bit less, because I was like early, you know, early buyers. And I, I you know, because I was talking to Brad and Neil, and then, you know, I was like, got to shoot on the prototype when I was doing a Netflix TV show here. And then, then I, I had, the binary which was kind of I think like a mix of x x is like the the most crazy one x and you know the middle ground so I'm gonna retune it so it's a bit less you know so you can control it because it, it's fine on like commercials and I used to have it as like a flare lens but then if I wanted to do something in you know, a long form I need something that I can control <laughs> for consistency and you know so I think I'm gonna retune it to be more like standard well, and the interesting thing is, I mean, probably the biggest difference maybe from how I was originally going to shoot it with Caden and how we ended up shooting with Rena is I was actually looking for lenses that had no blooming in the highlights. Like I, we, I didn't want a point of fluorescence and have blooming. And then that was actually, Rena really, that was something that she really wanted. And so that was the direction mm -hmm. we ended up moving. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that was also part of the re the, the, the formula where it was just like, you know, and, and, and for me, I was at first, a little bit like 
whoa. And then I was like, oh, well, this is, Rena has a vision for this and I'm going to support her vision. And, you know, uh, like we, we landed yeah. in a good place. Yeah, I think it's just kind of, I don't know. I, I like the highlights to bloom. I don't know, I, I'm scared of the digital looking images. <laughs> then, you know, I, I don't know, because when you shoot film, it looks, it, it blooms. And, you know, I'm not like, it has to look like a film, uh, like shot on celluloid, but it's just something, you know, gut feeling. It, I, I find the kind of highlights blooming like that's just a bit more pleasing. So we did enhance that with uh, the lenses with Guy. Um, at Panavision and uh, yeah and then what else was oh yeah and also also slow zoom Rachel <laughs> like, remember oh, like, yeah. we're, like she was like don't zoom so old I was like no Rachel zooms back <laughs> slow <laughs> zoom back in fashion because <laughs> I like using zoom not in like a lazy way that like I don't know which focal length I want to shoot at so I'm just going to stick a lens zoom on like I never do that like I, I hate using zoom in that way but I like using Zoom in like a psychological effect way. Like there's a difference between dolly track in and slow zoom in and you know, and they'll just because we were doing like shortlist together, and I was like, it's Zoom. And Rachel was like, what Zoom? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I had to kind of protest. Rachel, it's yeah, funny, don't worry. <laughs> There are definitely like a few things that are almost generational and it's totally dating myself, but it's like, I think blooming highlights for me are like, I think of soap operas, right? Like I go back in time to like, you know, all the cosmetic filters people used to put in front of glass and I'd be like, ah, you know, and like our whole, it was like, we were trying to get so far away from that. And so then now they're back in fashion, you know, just things that you have to almost reprogram. And yes, Zooms, you know, Zooms were always, I'm like, why would we Zoom when we could dolly? But now, now. We found a, a nice formula for the psychological slow slow zoom, sometimes mixed with the dolly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in uh, being conscious of time, because uh, mm-hmm. I know we wanted to keep this to an hour, um, mm-hmm. I was curious, like, what is inspiring you both right now, like in life and your art? Um, any any movies you've seen or artwork or anything you've read that you feel that comes up for you to share? I mean, movie-wise, I I saw probably like so many of you after Sun just like slayed me. I mean, I I thought that movie was so beautiful and brilliant, and it felt like being inside one's own memory. Um, I mean, I literally after seeing that movie, I was like, I'm a failure. My movie's not after Sun. <laughs> I saw the movie again. I was like, my movie couldn't have been after Sun. Like it was the different movies, but after Sun, I thought was just incredible. Um, yeah, if you seen that, Irina? I feel I've seen. I feel like I've seen so many films this year for some reason. Because um, because after wrapping Flint, and then you know, I I was just gonna shoot commercials until you know maybe like mid like spring this year. But then this uh film came, you know, the script landed, and I really liked it. Um, so I signed on to another movie just before Christmas. Um, so I kind of consciously took time out uh, from doing any commercials, like because I was just doing like a month or like three to four weeks of soft prep by myself on this movie, and I never have that kind of downtime. So I, I, I was, you know, um, I've been able to watch a lot of movies during that time, and you know, I mean, great movies, but great, great movies this year for sure. After Sun, amazing, um, British filmmaker, yay, and. Uh, also, I've been watching a lot of old films, um, like, you know, really old films, like back in the 50s or, you know, this, and then I've discovered that there's so many amazing Japanese movies, you know, back in the like, 50s and 70s and, you know, watching Bellini. And, and, I mean, uh, like old films right now are somehow my main inspiration. But also I've uh, just seen uh, Close. Um, it's nominated for International... Oh, cool. Yeah, category Oscar. Um, it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I was like, whoa! Like, <laughs> I went to the cinema and everyone's crying. <laughs> and, you know, it's just the execution is just like nothing is like overly dramatized, but it really grabs you. And the performance is amazing. And 
you know, cinematography is beautiful, but it's very simple. And they also, it almost looked like they only used like one or two lenses throughout the film. And, you know, I mean, technical stuff aside, uh, you know, I watched the movie after having watched so many films like over the last few weeks, you know, from old to new. And I was like, wow, like it's just so simple. But then yeah, I'd love to do a kind of simple but intimate film like that maybe at some point because, you know, I think it's it's sometimes it's nice to kind of do a simple one, <laughs> step back and you know, we did the I did Nanny that was kind of like a thriller genre movie, and then Flint it in a sports movie, biopic, and then the next one is like a rock opera, like post-apocalyptic, very kind of stylized film. So I think when I watched Clubs, I was like, wow, like, you know, I, I'd love to make a film like that one day. That's what I thought, because it's just such a special, I don't know, it's just, it's a miracle when we have a great film, right? So it just feels like, well, I was like, how did that, how did they make this film? You know, like when you watch like something like After Sun or in you know, amazing films, it's like, well, you know, I guess, I don't know how they do that, but yeah. What country was that out of? You know what, they were speaking French, uh, but it's like, is it Danish, Denmark? Um, yes, yeah, some European, yeah. I've it's been hearing such amazing things about the film, I haven't seen it, so. Yeah, you're going to be crying. Don't wear mascaras. Wear a waterproof yeah. mascara if you're going to the cinema. <laughs> Have either of you seen Claire Denis' new film? Which one? I don't know what it was called, what it's called. I just heard a review about it yesterday on NPR, um, but she has a brand new film out. It's supposed to be incredible. Mm. Oh, oh. just out already this year. Oh. Yeah, I think it's just out. Oh, okay. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, hard. Yeah, so. Yeah, hold on. I don't have my, uh, I should have, I should have known the name if I was going to bring that up, but. I thought maybe I, both of you had heard. <laughs> so, um, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you, uh, today's Thursday. So you guys have a relaxing couple of days coming up. Well, I'm I mean, about to, I don't know what you're doing. My Joe, you go first. I wouldn't, nothing, being home with my kids as much as I love it, <laughs> nothing, nothing relaxing about yeah. children under eight and what, you know, Clea's four and wild. So, but no, I mean, I, I'm still looking forward to obviously time with them and um, boxing. I, I took up boxing to mind of the game, our boxing movie, and now I'm hooked. So I probably- It's still boxing. boxing. <laughs> we have to mention, like, we both got boxing tattoos. Um, yeah. <laughs> where is it? It's, Did you it's, get those uh, after the movie? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God, are they the same? You got no, my just, tattoos? Oh. I just got like a girl's boxing. Oh, and then- cool. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> it might become uh, a thing like every movie that I like to do and I'll get tattoos <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, your whole body I, I do think like when you make a movie in any capacity that like it can be really transformative it's like it, it's no. it's pretty wild what we do for a living where you just you drop mm-hmm. into a universe and a family and like you know, whether it goes well or not, like it's still, I feel like you don't ever come away from a feature the same person you were when you started it, you know, and it could be because it was God awful and you were emotionally abused. It could be because it was incredible, like, it, but, but you don't, you never come out the same. And when it sinks well, it sinks well, you know what I mean? Like yeah. those connections are really deep. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I think it's the process that stays with you I feel like rather than actually the the some end piece like that's I don't know it's just my my personal experiences that you know I think about the process of making the film or you know making whatever we're working on more than when we watch something somehow it feels foreign to me that it's like oh did we make this you know like it's great but then it's weird in a way that maybe I'm, I'm a DP and I guess maybe, I don't know as a director but when I watch something that I've shot you know you really remember what we were doing and you know what we were like at the end of the process and you know like do you feel that Rachel when you watch the film? Yeah absolutely mm-hmm. I mean, but also even just dropping into different cities like I, mm-hmm. like you know, spending three and a half months in a, in a new place every year or whatever it is. And, you know, like raising Wiley in a walk-in closet, like that becomes, 
that is sort of the fabric of the movie that you've made in some way, shape or form. You know, like I fell in love with, you know, aspects, obviously not other aspects, but of the South when I made Mudbound. It's just like the the swamp and the, like, who gets that experience? It's so magical, you know? What state did you do that in? Mudbound was um, Louisiana. We it were, was Louisiana, we were, okay. We were hubbed in New Orleans, but shooting about an hour outside of it. Um, but, you know, and I, I spent a year and a half of my life in total, maybe more in Atlanta, you know, and Toronto, I now really, uh, like, I have so many great things to say about Toronto. It's a, And I would love the chance to shoot, you know, a film in Japan or in Europe. I mean, hopefully it's a long feature in front of us, but mm-hmm. I think that that's part of it too, is you really get to drop into a whole other place. Um, and then and then create a family with the people that you're working with. And I always love how wherever you go in the world, the people who work in their specific crafts are the same, but different, but the same mm-hmm. in every country around the world. Doesn't matter where you are, which is which is such a beautiful thing about the film business, right? That the type of people who attract to different positions in the crew and and how personalities can be so similar when you're so far away and different cultures, different upbringings and whatnot. And that's a really nice link about filmmaking. I feel. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Your rock opera, futuristic sci-fi rock operas. That sounds awesome. Like I'm ready to get my tickets. (laughs) <laughs> it's gonna be a challenge <laughs> and you're shooting that in Croatia yes yeah, so I'm I've, I've packed my suitcase today actually and I'm about to fly off and uh, give oh, all my were you able to get Tina lady oh I think I think she's on yeah I mean I really uh, tried to get her on and then you know Jeremy loved talking with her which is great so. That's just to take it full circle. Tina is an AD that each of us worked with on commercials out of Slovenia Slovenia yeah yeah um yeah. and she's an amazing and, AD yeah. yeah and so she's then, gonna be doing your film uh yeah I think so yeah that's good great. <laughs> yeah so you know another great fast AD you know hard to find <laughs> the women the women first ADs out there yes <laughs> yeah she's there's great. funny there's not really any in commercials but there's a lot of more hey, Greenberg mm. mm-hmm. I've walked with her no her in my world, my time in commercials, which was a long time, it was always men. There wasn't, there weren't really any female ads. So many in movies and TV, but just not, not in commercials. I know a handful of commercials. Yeah, um, but yeah, not. It's true. Not, not, not enough. Not enough. All right, ladies. Um, so nice to see you both. Nice to meet you, Rena, Rena. And yep. uh, we'll talk, we'll talk sometime soon. I'll let you know when we're going to be, uh, putting this out there. Cool. Thank awesome. you. Yeah. Thank you. Bye, Rena. Bye. Safe, Safe travel. <laughs> Thank you.